Good morning. Wow, look at you snowbirds that came out today. That's nice. I, uh, I always, in any sermon, I sometimes have really interesting in, uh, you know, starts to the thing, introductions. But today, I really don't have an interesting one other than to tell you uh, where I've been. And I will tell you that yesterday morning when I got on the plane, it was, it was 80 degrees. Lovely. Oh, boy. Somebody better save that boy's life because he's, there you go. There you go. I felt like that yesterday in about the third plane ride. But uh, I was, uh, I, I, so I spent 10 days in Colombia and Panama when I left here on last Wednesday. It was minus 30. The next day I was in Cali working. It was 80. So that was uh, a 110 degree shift, and people thought I was sick because I could not stop sweating. But uh, a very interesting trip, and uh, you know what's amazing is as I, as I travel, I look for the opportunity to let people know that I'm a follower of Christ. I try to tell my story in some way and be vulnerable. They can see me warts and all. And uh, inevitably, you find how people react. And uh, some just take a step back and put a little cushion between themselves and you. Uh, others, uh, uh, others react differently. When I was in Colombia, I uh, was in, in Cali, uh, met a number of believers there. Then when I was in, in, in Bogota, in the capital city, I was actually working and there was a person there with the American Colombian Chamber of Commerce, and she was quite nice, and we were working together. And, and uh, she looked at me uh, towards the end of the time, and she said, are you a Christian? And I said, well, yes, I am. I said, what, what makes you ask that? And she said, well, some of the things you've said, but she said, you're too nice. Boy, I said, can I write that down? And we talked a little bit, and she was a, a fellow believer in Christ, and she told me the story about she, she uh, had come to Christ because she started going to youth group because she liked this boy there. That's all right. That's a good way to get started. And she told me her story, and they are now married and have a couple of children, and, and she, she, she and her husband are serving the Lord. Then I was in uh, Panama. And uh, when I was in, in Panama there, I was at the canal at the end of the work time because I was on a trade mission from Iowa. We had a very nice tour at the canal, which is really unbelievable. And the numbers, they give you about how much the ships weigh and all of this stuff. I can tell you, I remember this. The cheapest price ever paid to go through the canal was 36 cents. And it was by a person back in the 30s or 40s who swam from one side to the other because you paid by weight. Um, today, if you go through the canal, you know, the, the minimum charge is $2,500, and the, uh, a big tanker that goes through, big, uh, you know, like uh, carrying grain or cargo, whatever it is, it's a million bucks. So you want to plan accordingly. Um, but a really fascinating time, and we were there, and, and uh, this one gal that I was visiting with, I just turned to her, and, and, and because of a couple of things she had said about God's, you know, isn't it just beautiful how God did I said, are you a Christian? And she, she smiled, and she said, well, I certainly am. Are you also? And we, we visit a little bit, and what a delight and encouragement. Now, I'm in Atlanta, 
And this is truly one of those experiences I'll never have again in my life, I imagine. I'm sitting in the airport, and uh, because I fly quite a bit, I, I do get to get into the lounges. And I'm sitting there, and I see an older gentleman. He's a black gentleman, and he is, uh, he's got a, a ribbon around his neck and a big medal. And I think, what in the world? And he's got a hat on that says U.S. Marines. And I think. And I didn't say anything. Then he came by again, and I stood up, and I said, Sir, I said, that is a beautiful medal, because it was. I said, and I wondered, I said, what is it? And he said, well, that's the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I said, wow, what an honor to be in your presence. Where did you serve? And I tell you, I thought he was about 70 years old. And he smiled, and he said, well, I'm a little older than I look. He said, I'm 93. So he said, I served in Guadalcanal, and I was at Pearl Harbor, and I was in Korea, and he went on. And, and he said, what about you, young man? Have you been outside the country? And I said, well, I did spend 20 years, but in, in missions, not in, in, in the military. But I said, what an honor. And, and of course, when he started out, it was segregated troops, segregated training, and he just shared his story. When I said that I was a missionary, he said, well, he says, I'm an ordained missionary myself from a Baptist church. And he said, I still serve as an elder there. And he said, isn't it amazing? He said, we serve our country, we serve the Lord. And, uh, but he said, you got to do both with gusto, don't you? And what a, 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 an incredible, encouraging thing. All around the world, there are people just like you who are gathered together this morning, and they are worshiping the Lord Jesus they are encouraging one another in the Lord Jesus, and that is what it's all about. And remember, church isn't showing up. Uh, church isn't looking good. Church isn't how you dress. Uh, it, it is about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why we're gathered together. So, amen. Let's have a word of prayer for me, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, penetrate it most into my own heart. Help me to be honest, forthright. Help me to teach well, clearly, concisely. And Lord, may your word be lifted up, and may you be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have talked about Abraham's story. We have talked about Abraham. And we've talked about a step of faith as he left Ur of the Chaldees. We've talked about a wavering faith as he arrives in the Promised Land, but then wanders down into Egypt because he's hungry. Uh, we have talked about a costly faith, how he turned to Lot after they got back. We learned how Lot got some Egypt in his blood, and we're going to talk about Lot again today a little bit, and later more. And it was a costly faith because he just said to Lot, we're not going to have conflict here. Take whatever you want. You choose what you want. And Lot said, oh, man, that land down there by Sodom and Gomorrah, that looks like Egypt. I'll take that. And Abraham said, well, I'll take them, stay up here in the mountains. And we learned that the four awful words in the Bible are Lot chose for himself. And I said, please do not do that. I have done that. I have paid the consequences, and I don't want to do it again. So if you're young, you get a choice. You either get to learn by the rest of us sharing our experiences, or you get to be young and dumb and do it yourself and, 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 and experience the pain all by yourself. Now, the next, uh, next message today is a generous faith. And here we're going to talk about Abraham 
and where he meets Melchizedek. So we're in the 14th chapter of Genesis, and I'm not going to read verses 1 through 10. If you wanted to do that, you certainly can. It is a, God is very specific about what kings were involved in the battle, um, and you could go through there and read all of the names and who is. But basically, I'm going to summarize that section, and then we're going to begin to read Scripture and talk about it, about the story today. But basically, you have five kings that lived in Jordan Valley. Back then, don't think of a king like the king of Egypt. It was a king of a small area. And so you had five kings in Jordan Valley, and you had four kings up to the northwest. Now, the four in the northwest were the power guys. They were in charge. They had banded together. And so these five in the south, here in the Jordan Valley, they had to serve the four. They were under their power and control. But the, uh, the, the five kings in the Jordan Valley decide to rebel. And when they do that, the four kings in the north get together and say, okay, now we're going to go down there and they're going to pay for their rebellion. So we pick it up. Um, then... They come down, the four take all the stuff, including Lot, Abraham's nephew. And they, they, they take him captive, they take all the goods out of Sodom, out of Gomorrah, out of these other places, and they, they take them back up to the northwest. Well, somebody goes and tells Abraham, and says, Abraham, your nephew Lot, man, this is this has happened. Can you believe it? I mean, you know, I didn't have CNN or Fox News or anything, but the guy shows up and said, can you believe what's happened? So your nephew's gone. They've taken everything, and they've taken him up to the northwest. So Abraham, what would you do? Now, your nephews, some of you have nephews like Lot. Or you have brothers like Lot, or you know people like Lot, and they come to you and say, and somebody says, man, you know, Lot's been hauled off. The temptation is for us to say, well, he deserved it. What did you expect? Dumb cluck. I mean, what was he thinking? No, Abraham doesn't do that, and so he gathers 318 of his men, and that's where we pick up and begin to read in chapter 14, verse 14, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, Dan was a place. Now, this shows you that how God had blessed Abram. I mean, oh, come on, here it was. It was Abram, Sarah, Lot. That was about all they had when they left Ur. Now he's got 318 men that are part of his household, and these, and they probably had wives. Now, you're talking, there's a pretty good community there. And these 318 men, they armed, and they take off to go rescue Lot. Now, Dan is about 100 miles to the north, and off they go. How long does it take you to, I don't know, ride a donkey or walk or jog 100 miles? It'll take me a long time, I don't know. My days back when I read Westerns a lot and Louis L'Amour and some of the other books, I think you could go about, what was it, 20, 20 miles a day was a good day for a wagon train, 40 for a horse. I, I could be off on that. You know, this was not just he ran down to Casey's to help his nephew. A hundred miles. 
I wasn't in a car. This was hard work, and they were going into battle. Well, as they get close, in verse 15, he says he divided his forces against them by night, probably a pincer movement to come from the sides. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Now, this is about another hundred miles when he starts the battle. So, I mean, you really don't want to tick Abram off. And he's going, and he's going with God's blessing. And so he divides his force. He wins. He rescues Lot, and then he pursues these guys another hundred miles north. And they didn't come back for a long, long time. And I'm sure it was, they must have said, well, who poked the hornet's nest here, guys? Who is this guy? And so he pursues them. He gets Lot. And then in verse 16, we read, he brought back all the goods. He also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. So Abram brings them all back. And uh, they come back to the south. What do you think Abram and Lot talked about at night? It does, the scripture doesn't tell us. But don't you imagine that they did? I, I, you know, I imagine them having a conversation and Abram, because you know how it is. Even though you're right and you need to give advice to somebody who's really, really messed up, you want to enter into it the right way or they won't listen to you anyway. So what did Abram do? Did he say something like, I just kind of imagine him sitting there and Abram saying, well, Lot, now, you know, you know, this living in Sodom is really not a good idea. It's a, not a good place to raise a family. Why, why don't you come back and, you know, we'll figure it out and you live beside me up the mountains and we'll kind of, you know, over here and kind of just separate from that stuff because, you know, this is just not a good situation. Did they have the conversation? Did they, did they talk about the dangers? We really don't even know if they talked, but if they did talk, it didn't do any good. Because Lot went right back to Sodom, and we'll hear more about him later. So in verse 17, then it says, Then after his return from the defeat of Kedarlaomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, and went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. So you've got the king of Sodom who goes out. His name is Bera. And, uh, and also, then in verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. So Abram comes back. He's got all the people. He's got all the goods. He's the conquering hero. And here come two kings out into the valley to welcome him. You've got the king of Salem, and you've got the king of Sodom, Bera. Now Melchizedek, of course, we hear about in verse 18, and that's his, his very interesting, and I'm going to talk about him this morning and what I think is true about him. But his name is interesting, Melk, that Melka is, uh, means king of. Zedek is righteousness, and Salem is, or Shalom is peace. So he's the king of righteousness and peace. Now, that's a good name to have, isn't it? What's in a name? What's in a name? Now, as I was in Panama, for instance, 
I, uh, the very first morning, they always give us a little bit of briefing. And by the way, uh, Lieutenant Governor Greg and his wife Carrie were on this trip. Nice believers, deep faith in Christ. Pray for anybody, of course, but I just wanted to tell you, I traveled with them, I can tell you, nice people, nice commitment to Christ. It was encouraging to see that. Um, and, and as we travel, and they always have somebody come from the embassy, so there was a, they invited a lawyer in. His grandfather's originally from Clare, Iowa. Left there and moved to Panama. I don't know, must have been a woman involved, I'm sure. Why else would you go that far? And, uh, but uh, so he said, you know, he says, I know about Iowa. He says, my grandfather tells me about it. He said, I've never been to Clare. And, and he was seated, seated beside me, so I pulled up on my phone. It was like 14 below. I said, do you miss it? Um, but very nice man, uh, Robert, and uh, we were talking. And so he was a lawyer, and he was going to give a little briefing on doing business in Panama, what you do, what you don't do. Um, and, uh, oh, he said, who are you going to meet with while you're here? This is why somebody else was talking, and I said, oh, this, this, and Coleste, I mean, this name is a big sugar company. I thought, why? I don't know why I'm meeting with a sugar company. Well, now I know, because they also do corn and soybeans and, and rice. And, uh, oh, he said, nice. And we talked a little more. He said, by the way, here's my card. When you go in and meet with them, give them that, because he said, my family owns that company. Well, I said, well, I'll do that. And uh, so he was talking about Iowa and and we were eating breakfast, and there's something called a patacon, which is something they eat there. And, and I smiled at him, and I said, you know, I said, don't feel too bad about living down here because, and I held it up, and I said, there are no patacones in Iowa, and I took a big bite. And that evening, I got a knock, I got a call, and at the hotel, they said, someone left a gift for you, and he had brought me a package of patacones that were packed in such a way that you could bring them back to the States. I go to my meeting, and I go in, and I follow instructions. And the gentleman said, oh, yeah, yeah, so you're from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I said, uh, and he was, he, was, he was nice, but it was, he was a little bit cool, you know, there at, at, uh, at this sugar company at Calesta. And so I reached in my pocket, I pulled out the card, and I said, oh, I said, I was, I was in a meeting with this gentleman. Do you know him? Um, he, he said I should make sure that you knew him. And, he, and his eyes opened, and he said, oh, sir, you're so well. Would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> It is amazing what's in a name, isn't it? What's in a name? And go right back and think of what, what's in your name. When people talk about you, what, 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 what's in your name? How do people, uh, you know, I've talked about Charlie and Francis Shear. When I talk about Charlie, I almost always smile, him and his goofy jokes. I mean, I don't know. You know, he's... He's, he's just quite a character. I can tell you a few funny stories about him. Um, king of righteousness and peace. So he comes out into the valley, and of course the king of, so of Sodom has come out, King uh, Bera. And uh, if we, of course, if we look at Melchizedek, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, of course, he's, he's in Scripture, he's named as being superior to Aaron, so he's a king, he's, he's, he's superior to Levi, he's a priest, he's a king and a priest with no genealogy. And, and then in verses 19 to 20, Melchizedek comes out and he says to Abraham, <clears throat> he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, 
and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. It's a blessing. Why, why did he bless him? Why, why did he say that? Why did God, because if we truly believe that God's hand is in everything, God directed Melchizedek to say that right then. Why? Well, we're going to see that in a minute. <clears throat> and I think it was because a test is coming. We're going to see the test. So God uses Melchizedek to remind Abram who he is. I think sometimes when I travel, it's hard to keep always in perspective. I think sometimes I ought to pin on the mirror when I get up in the morning. Daniel, you are a child of God most high. Act like it. Act like it. Act like it when the airline takes off late. Act like it when you're going through security. Act like it. Those are the tough times, not when you're in meetings while you dress up and you look good and blah, blah, blah. Well, then you're ready to come home. And uh, you go through security the first time, you get to the gate, and oh, can I go in and sit down? Not with your coffee. You can't have any drinks in the sitting area. Now, that's just stupid. Don't you think that's stupid? That, that is. And I... And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm just bubbling inside. It's like, so I sit down on the floor and drink my coffee. And then I get to go through the security line the second time. But that's when it gets tough. And so God reminds Abraham of who he is through Melchizedek. And it says, remember now, God is who God, remember who God is when your test comes. God is possessor and he's the blesser. And so Abraham then gives a tenth, gives an offering to Melchizedek. Isn't that interesting? And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Now, I'm not, this isn't a sermon about tithing, but I'll just tell you tithing is a biblical principle. You can like it or lump it. You can do it or not do it, but it doesn't change anything. You know, I can, I can I carry a comb with me for my mustache. I never comb the hair on my head. What, what, what would you think of me if you saw me come in every morning and there'd be a comb in my... I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm bald. I'm bald whether I think I have hair or I don't have hair. Tithing is something you should do. If you don't do it, you still should do it. It's like brushing your teeth. Anybody here not brush your teeth? You wouldn't admit it if you did. You'd be like little Johnny. Johnny went to school. His teacher said, Johnny, you need to brush your teeth. He said, why? Well, she said, because I can see what you had for breakfast. He said, what did I have for breakfast? She said, eggs. Ha! He said, that was yesterday. <laughs> Take you a while to get back in the mode of the sermon, but it was too good to pass up. So, I, I, you know, and, and again, I don't, I do take the advantage there to talk about tithing because pastors don't like to talk about it because it's not, not popular, but, you know, do it. God will bless you. God will bless you. It's, we're not health and wealth preachers, for goodness sake. Of course, God does what he wants to do. He is God. But if he calls you to do it, you do it, you will be blessed in the long term. So, I think about it. 
So there in 21, now here Melchizedek comes out and he says, Abraham, you're a child of God most high. Abraham, here's 10%. And uh, gives it to him. And then here comes out the king of Sodom, Beeram. And he said to Abram, give the people to, my, to me and take the goods for yourself. Wow. That's kind of a nice deal, isn't it? I don't know how much it was, how much gold there was. Just give me the people back. I want my people back, but you'd keep all the goods. You know, it's reasonable. It was Abe's risk. How does Abraham respond? Listen to these words. Abram has said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high possessor in heaven and earth. He repeats the blessing that Melchizedek has pronounced on him. He's remembering, oh, this is who I am, this is who I am. It's like when you're going through, I'm not scared of the dark, I'm not scared of the dark. You remind yourself, you remind yourself, God most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me on their Eshkol and Mamre, let them take their share. Um, Abram looks at him and says, no thank you. You know, it really is, I don't want your dirty money. Uh, no, I'm not robbing God of his blessing. Not one red cent. I'm not going to take it. So I stick a question in here for you. When you're making your decisions, do you honor God in your decisions? In the cars you buy, the clothes you wear, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, Things you watch when nobody's around. You honor God, and that's what Abraham, Abraham comes and he says, okay, here, here, here it is. Melchizedek, you represent God. It's yours. I'm going to serve you. Vera, take your stuff. I don't want it. There are two kings here. The king of Salem, of course, is Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom is Bera. Uh, which one are we going to honor? We never should make decisions that rob God of his glory. And here are three lessons for life that I take away from this. One is this. Throughout life, we're going to face a choice between two kings. King Jesus or King me. What do you want? What, 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 who are you going to serve? Now, as I look at this story here, I believe that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate Re, a representation of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not suddenly just appear at Bethlehem. He's always existed. And I believe Melchizedek was the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he was in front of Abraham. I say that for a number of reasons. I just mentioned here. So he has no genealogy mentioned. Uh, he, he is, Abram gives him a, a, the, the, the offering. And it's very interesting that Melchizedek, the food that he gives to Abraham is bread and water, or bread and wine. The same thing now we use in our service when we remember Christ and his sacrifice. And so here is King Jesus, and here is King World, and Abram says, I'm going to serve the Lord God Most High. So at all stages in our life, we're going to ask that question, who, is, who, who am I going to serve? Now, I want to tell you, Sometimes I see people who, uh, who their children are become God. 
anything the child wants or anything we have to do. We can't go to church because Johnny won't be happy. We can't do this because Johnny won't be happy. I actually fly with some of them on the airport, on the airlines, and you, I know you hear the stewardess say, I wonder if we could just, you know, pitch them out. It's awful. But your children are not, and your grandchildren are not God. I know people who treat their grandchildren like they are God. They are the most important thing. And, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but your grandchildren are cute, but they're not as cute as you think they are. And they're not as, you know, God is God. It's not our children. It's not our grandchildren. It's, it's not the ministry. Don't ever buy that lie. It is not the ministry. It is not our work. It's not money. It's not retirement. It's not music. God is God, and everything comes under him. So every day you're going to have to make choices. Who will I serve? Who will I serve? I have to do that every day, and may God help me to do it well. Our choices, number two, are determined by our heart. So we have to choose who we're going to serve. That's determined by our heart, and how is your heart? Lot chooses Sodom. He goes right back to Sodom, where he came from. He's kidnapped. He goes back there. Could have gone to the mountains. Could have gone to Abe's side. Could have gone. There are no altars in Sodom. But there he goes. He goes right back there. Abraham chooses King Jesus. Um, and where your heart goes, your body follows. I don't remember all the cute sayings about it, but you know that if you start to let your mind think on something. Your heart's going to get involved. Once your heart's involved, your body's going to follow, and all of a sudden, you've made a big mess out of everything. So be very careful of your heart. And number three, our hearts have to be changed by God. Are you saved by the blood of the Lamb? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Are you walking in relationship to Jesus? It's all about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so, I ask things like, can a leopard change their spots? Can you change another person? No. <laughs> Don't believe me? How many married people here? Raise your hand. <laughs> you, you can't change your wife, and you can't change your husband, can you? No. 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 You know, and, and, uh, and then if you got them to change, you wouldn't like them. But, uh, you can't, but can their heart change? Yes. Yes, but it's, it is something that the Lord has to do. Hearts have to change. So God will give you a new heart, but only if you ask for it. Only if you ask for it. Abraham and Lot both did what their hearts loved to do. How, how about you? Who's your, who's your king? Who's the king of your, your heart? How many of you know who George Beverly Shea is? When I say that name, some of you... Older folks will raise your hand, okay, Thor, you need to know who he is. That's your responsibility for next week. Okay, how many of you, do you know who Billy Graham is? Oh, very good, okay. So the lead singer for Billy Graham for many, many years was George Beverly Shea. Oh, and he was a young man with his beautiful baritone voice. He was offered a contract, and I think it was by CBS Radio, and they laid it out for him. He was going to be rich. He was going to be famous. He was, and uh, he got home from the interview. If I have the story, this is as, as I think it to be true. His mother, he always came home and he sat down and played the piano for a while. His mother had set a poem 
there on the piano. She was a believer. And it read this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. I can't sing very well, right? But then to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He later put that to music, and many of us have heard that song, and it changed his life. And he called them and he said, no, I will not be taking the contract. I'm going to serve God. And he and they laughed and they said, you'll nobody will ever hear from you again. <laughs> he sang all over the world and millions of people heard him sing. And he sang to the Lord. And as an old man, he died full of joy. I want to encourage you. You, like Abraham, are going to face things. I'm going to face things this week where it's, here's, here's Melchizedek and here's Bera, the king of Sodom. And we're going to stand there and say, now, which way am I going to go? Remember, remember, the possessor of heaven and earth has blessed you. You're a child of the king, just like Abraham. You just repeat back to the devil, I'm blessed by the king, and I'm following King Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you call us, and then you save us. You purify our hearts, Lord, but then you call us to continue in righteousness. So, Lord, help us to walk close to you listening to wholesome things and filling our hearts and minds with your word and remembering, Lord, it's all about King Jesus. Someday you'll come, Lord, and you'll take us all home and we want to be ready. We want to be ready. We want when you come that you don't have to wonder if we're one of yours. So, Lord, fill our hearts and our minds and make us strong as we walk and represent you on this earth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.